Hello. <laughs> Hello there. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for coming. I appreciate it so much. I know it's hectic having houses full of, of family right now. My house is full for sure. Yes, my we might be interrupted by children or animals at some point. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And that's part of the, the Zoom culture right now. Cool. Well, Tracy, uh, thanks for coming and being a guest on No Thanks. But yes, this uh, the purpose of this video podcast is to have chill conversations with splendid people like yourself who have overcome chaotic relationships with substances via many pathways. And I think those stories need to be told and hopefully they'll be inspiring to folks. And I just know it's a whole lot of fun. It's a hobby for me. So I get to noodle around on media stuff. And appreciate you helping me out. Sure. So first of all, who, who are you? So my name is Tracy Hilton. Uh, I'm known on social media as Tracy H415. Uh, I'm originally from a place called Westchester, Ohio, where I grew up uh, with a lot of addiction and, and mental health issues in the family. Uh, and I eventually, you know, I was diagnosed with having mental health issues when I was 12 years old in the 70s. Well, now it's the 80s during a time when there wasn't really any kind of adolescent mental health care. Uh, and so when I found opioids when I was a teenager in my late teens, that really resonated with me. Absolutely. So I can't relate to like the people saying I was addicted as soon as I first tried them because I don't really think that's true. But I think that the feeling that it gave me was something that I decided that I wanted to continue to pursue after that. So. Um, you know, I, I make a joke about how I stopped drinking when I started doing heroin, and that's pretty much true. Like I was, you know, doing problematic drinking and, you know, taking hallucinogens, all this sort of usual experimental stuff. But it was very obvious right away that there was a stark um, contrast between myself and my peers that were using because, you know, they would drink beer for the taste of it. And I always wanted the effect. Like I never drank beer for the taste of it. Like I would use excessive amounts of um, weed, like just everything was in excess. It was all, it was all gas and no brakes. And so in, I can't even remember what year, but when I was in my late teens, I got introduced to opioids again. So I, and I really, really liked that feeling of like being completely numb and sort of the euphoria of them, but really the sort of numbness um, that sort of muted the mental health issues that I had going on and sort of the chaos of drug use appealed to me for whatever reason because I had sort of grown up in this chaotic home environment with one stable parent but then one parent you know who had very serious alcohol issues and um and that sort of is where my journey began and then it wasn't wasn't very long until I got interject introduced to injection drug use um so I was uh an IV drug user during the time where there was no any retrovirals, so you always had to worry about whether or not you were going to catch HIV. Yeah, um, which many of my friends did and expired within a few years. Mm. Um, and you know, just having to navigate that whole culture and what really, really struck me when I came to San Francisco 
was the people who were working in harm reduction, although I didn't have a, you know, a word for that at the time, the people who were working at the syringe exchange, because I had been using the same syringe for a year. Um, you know, it's like basically rusty fish hooks that were going in and out of my skin, circa, you know, William S. Burroughs novels. It was, I mean, it was terrible. And I had come out to California and they said, oh, well, you can go to the syringe exchange. And so, um, and I'd had access to heroin where I was from, but not like, not like out here where they had open air drug markets. And so I got basically lost in, um, in San Francisco and um, was strung out uh, on the streets here. And then became a very, very heavy poly substance user from 1992 until 1998. Uh, and then I got, you know, I've had, I've been homeless in three different states. I've been incarcerated in a couple different states. I've spent nine and a half months of my life in jail. And, uh, and then I got into, you know, so then in 1992, let me interrupt you for just a second. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, you, uh, you paint a compelling picture and one that resonates with me and hopefully with many other folks, uh, why we use drugs. And I can relate to that, uh, early childhood experience with a specific, uh, medicine that, that, uh, had a feeling that I, I wish to pursue and, uh, rediscovering that medicine later in life and and it turning to chaos and and ultimately uh, diagnosable and and no longer working for me so I think you, you do a great job explaining that to folks um, there's this narrative out there of you know we just uh, we just want to get high and that is not uh, something that uh, was true for me I, uh, I had found medicine for my trauma for my chaos for my um, for my uh, being different and detached and just didn't work for me after a while. So I would definitely say there, there were times in my life where I really, I pursued getting, I pursued getting high, but what I found really early was that that sort of excessive drug use led to a lot of consequences. So even though I was, you know, had basically transitioned my whole life into drug use, I was always very cognizant of the fact, like, I don't want to do all of this. I don't want to do, you know, excessive amounts at a time where I'm, I want to get high, not die. And so I think right that sort of served me well in a lot of places because I was more aware of like, you know, I don't want to do the whole bag because I might die or I don't want to, you know, I, I'm going to be completely incapacitated. Like the goal for me was always to sort of moderate my emotions versus um, being so incapacitated and having a habit so big that I couldn't manage it, um, which is why, you know, that segues into, I had tried methadone a couple times, which methadone the first time really helped me because I actually had quit heroin for a while um, as a result of being on methadone. I got off the clinic, but I still wasn't really doing heroin like I had, but then I had switched to meth. So um, that was a whole another uh, unex unexpected consequence was like the switching that went on and then eventually I was just doing everything I was doing you know speed heroin cocaine at the same time in the same syringe and like my life was just like ups and downs sounds mood like wise sure for sure um so we met uh uh on twitter um I follow you on twitter and uh I found some some messages that you were putting out there that I could identify with that I felt like I might want to retweet. And um, 
and I noticed that you had written a book, uh, a memoir. And uh, so, w when did uh, when did you um, feel that drive to to put pen to paper this story of yours? So I was in a, a documentary that came out in 1999 called Black Tar Heroin: The Dark End of the Streets, mm. and it was on it was on HBO, and it showed a few of us who had been in heroin addiction and sort of like the spiraling that occurred. Um, and I had gained some sort of minor celebrity through I don't through that. Um, and so I had I had my kids and I really had got, I had been working doing overdose prevention starting in 1999. And I, and I really needed to break from that for a while because I was just, bur you know, really burning out and needed to have my kids and sort of, you know, finish graduate school and have like this whole different um, life mindset for a little while. But then I had my, you know, I had my ex-boyfriend was like, oh, you really should read these comments and these videos where people are asking questions about you and um, what happened to you in your life. Because the movie had reached some kind of cult status on the internet where people, a lot of people like to get high and watch the movie, which was, you know, kind of strange. Or they'd be like kicking drugs and like want to watch the movie. So I thought, well, I should start communicating with them somehow about how I am sober because it doesn't say in the video that I got sober right. um I was sober a year when it even came out like that I am sober but also um you know I was interested in overdose prevention like all the different types of things to go with that and like was interested in pursuing giving out naloxone to people it was like people were like asking me to send naloxone to people so I started writing uh, a blog that, um, and then I was posting it on Reddit and it became, you know, it's had like a million and a half visitors or views over the years. Like it became very, very popular. Um, but I was mostly writing addiction stories about different things I survived and it became a way to like unprocess a lot of the, um, trauma that had been stored in my head and like people who had died, right um, who were gone and like, you know, trying to honor them in some way, but, you know, some of it's like, you know, sort of like trauma porn, but some of it's funny, you know, it's all like different across the spectrum of like, but it was real, like all the kind of real things I had been through, like what it's like to be dope sick when it's freezing cold outside and snot is dripping off your nose and you're like providing a visual frame for people but then people know that I had gotten out of that. Like I had been in that place and I had got out of that. I think that was really the, um, the impetus for me writing the book because the big people fix. would, I'm sorry, the big fix, the big fix, because people would, when you read addiction, I think people in early recovery love to read addiction memoirs that like, you know, sets off a certain thing in your brain, but they always have these addiction memoirs, but at the very end, they, it's like four sentences about how they got sober. It doesn't say how at all. There's no how, like, how did it happen? So my book actually starts with me in jail, getting, you know, stopping the use of drugs. And then it's 15 years of my recovery because one of the things that I found the sort of um, the 20 something set had been lied to so much on the internet by people that they had believed in to have a visual frame starting in 1999 of like all my internet history being consistent where I'm saying the same things about, you know, drug use, harm reduction, recovery, all these different things. 
gave me a gave me a um not cloud but gave me a uh it put me in a place where people really could believe what i was saying was true that when i was saying that people do get in recovery and it should be any kind of recovery that you want that uh people believe that and they believed in themselves and so that is why i started pursuing that whole vein because um first it started out with like the connection people connecting with me seeing me on tv but then they connected with me during my writing but then it goes to the place where it's like and i've been in the place where you're in too but you there's a whole another place that you can go to and so i've stayed in contact with like hundreds of people who have since gotten off drugs you know a lot of them have died but a lot of them have gotten off drugs and to see like that your drug use can just be a snapshot in your life it doesn't have to be a continuing thing that goes on for your whole life that's uh that's beautiful so um i like that the memoir is uh, is is pretty recovery heavy um and uh, some memoirs fall short in that regard like uh and then it was all better and so tell me i i ask everyone uh because there are many definitions of what recovery means to folk and and uh so you identify as a person in recovery today? I do. So I'm in I'm in abstinence-based recovery. I would say probably abstinence light because, you know, I take CBDs to go to sleep. I drink kombucha. I take psych meds. Like when I started in recovery in 1998, they people told me that if you were on psych meds, you weren't sober. Like it was very, um, there's been a lot of opening up. But I also think that recovery is whatever it is to the person. Like I've had friends that, um, you know, were shooting heroin and now they drink or they, they smoke pot and they don't do speed anymore. Like whatever, it's whatever it is to the person. Like I think getting stuck on any particular type of recovery and saying that they own the term recovery, um, especially the abstinence crowd is, is disingenuous because recovery is like a whole, it's a whole spectrum of what, whatever it is to the person. Right on. Yeah. And then many of the folks uh, of my people who have professed to be an abstinence recovery, and I was aware of, of other neurotransmitter spiking activities that they were engaged in. I said, really, you're kind of not engaged in abstinence, but that's okay. You know, you do you. And um, we need a broader, uh, we don't even really need a definition of recovery. What I'm looking for is some, you know, what, what does, what does recovery mean to you? What have you gained from recovery? People talk about freedom and wellness. People talk about finding themselves or what have you, what, uh, what do you think about that? I, I mean, if you would have asked me, you know, 10 or 10 or even 20 years ago, I probably would have said it would just, was the freedom from having to use drugs every day. But I think that's a very narrow definition in the very early phases. That's, that's where you're at. But I think being okay with myself and like getting to get to know myself as a person without having to numb myself or like be afraid of everything and also be able to like learn about the world and navigate the world in a new way um you know because when you start using especially in a teenager that your brain is not even fully functioning and so you have to like relearn so many things or learn them for the first time in a healthy way and so really learning how to 
be happy and relatively healthy in the world has been a new experience for me. But I think every year you're, I think every year recovery changes. And so the tools that you use have to constantly change where, you know, at the very early stages, I was, you know, very hardcore 12 stepper. That was my life. But I think now um, my life, you know, I like to go hiking and, you know, I have cats and a dog and spend time with my kid. You know, my things that are like recovery oriented are not obvious things, but they're, um, but they're important to me. And I, and I think that's, that's sort of like the opening of your world is what recovery means to me really, because when you are using a substance, your life is so narrow. It's just like this little passage in between these two rocks that are like scraping against each other. The opening of your world becoming yourself to know yourself learning to navigate the world learning new coping uh that was stunted by early childhood use uh one of our previous guests the author maya solovitz has done such an extraordinary job of teaching the world about this disordered learning theoretical model i began using drugs at a very young age and then found sustained recovery at 37 and suddenly i'm supposed to be this grown man and I had to learn how to deal with disappointment and delayed gratification. I had to learn to navigate emotional uh, turmoil and what have you. And that took time. Grew up in public, some folks say. Well, that's great. I, I love that. That's that's quotable. I'm always looking for something in the in the uh, conversation to to title the episode and just you know the opening of your world. It's it, that's brilliant. What are you? Uh, so the book. Uh, we talked about that. So let's, um, what do you do now, man? What do you, uh, what do you do to promote uh, um, whatever it is that you want to promote? And, and then we'll talk about what you do for kicks. Sorry, I have a cat. That's, that's, oh, one second. That's part of okay, the ran off now. So <laughs> um, the cat's paw is like progressively getting further and further under the door. So I work in public health. I can't really comment too much about it. Um, just because of rules that they have, but I work, I work in behavioral health and which I don't even like that term, but, um, I, I do a lot of stuff with peer-based mental health. And I also run an overdose prevention project from my house where, um, that's just like something I've been doing since 2013, where I mail, um, Narcan or Naloxone to people, uh, who contact me through the internet. And then I also do, sort of peer-based education with people through TikTok and other media, social media outlets, typically Reddit, where I answer people's questions about harm reduction or addiction or whatever it is that they're interested in. Um, so those are kind of like the three main domains of my work. Right on, right on. My day job is in, in the public health training and technical assistance space as well. And uh, I really dig that you're uh, engaged in that uh, harm reduction outreach from your home on your time and educating the community on your terms on social media is part of why I've started this project. It's just all mine. I had a former employer, not my current employer, they're exquisite, that wanted to uh, kind of maybe dictate what the content might be. And I said, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Well, that's good work, strong work. We talk about what people do for fun. What, you know, I'm, I'm picturing you in San Francisco, 
right back in the day so I'm, I'm now i'm curious like what kind of music do you dig uh i listen to hardcore music i listen to punk rock music mostly and um hardcore music and i don't know but i like eclectic music like i like parliament i like oh yeah old, you know james brown and i i like you know funk me different types of funk music and um i like some like 60s music for sure but it, it really just it, i have very eclectic i have very eclectic music taste yeah, um it's good stuff yeah no doubt um so what do you uh what do you do for fun for creative outlet uh to promote your you know your wellness sustain your wellness when you're not working i like to go out in nature and i like to take pictures of animals um, not for anybody, just for myself. Like I like to try to find different types of animals where they live at and try to get pictures of them. So everything from elephant seals to a weasel to, um, I haven't got any pictures of foxes yet, uh, but um, whales, I got some videos of humpback whales. Uh, and I like to spend time with my kids. Um, and I, I walk two to five miles a day. It's kind of hard right now because it's raining. So I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to get outside with the break in the rain. I, I mean, I just like to walk um, and go hiking. But I mean, my favorite thing to do is be out of the city, like in the green somewhere, like either we're at the beach, but I like to go to the ocean and look in the tide pools and stuff like that. I think anything that pulls you away from your phone into a space where you're not, you're just like in the moment. Uh, and I write, I'm, I'm working on another book. Um, so whether it gets published or not, I'm just working on another book. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, those are like my, those are my main hobbies. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, we, we share that bit of uh, self care fun. And uh, I live near the woods, near a river, uh, acknowledging this is the, ancestral and traditional homeland of the Tuscarora tribes, but I, I just absolutely love walking out into the woods and hope to catch a glimpse of wildlife out there. I'm particularly moved when I see the great blue heron. And that's oh, a, okay. a treat, always a treat. All right. That's awesome. So uh, folks uh, get put on the spot a little bit here because, you know, I hope to have millions and millions of listeners and, and we've talked about, uh, you know, a little bit about why people use drugs and 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 what is uh, when problematic drug use happens and what has what happens in recovery and, and what we do for fun. What's uh, what's a message that you would like to send home to folks to uh, to close this out? I mean, my message has been the same since 2013, which is that people should carry Narcan, not use by themselves, test their drugs. Real, I think really today's message is that you really need to be using with someone who can administer the Narcan. Um, I mean, Narcan has kind of been my life. Like that's where how people know me is I'm the, Nar I'm the Narcan lady. Um, they're, for the under 40s, I'm the Narcan lady. Like that's how, that's how a lot of them know me um, because I've been talking about Narcan constantly, um, you know, since 2013, like what on TV and social media and whatever, like I have a Narcan shirt on now, cool cats carry Narcan, like that's my whole. That's so awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's my whole life. I mean, that's my whole life. So 
I think if I'm glad that the messaging is starting to really hit home, but it's unfortunate the reason why now. Yeah. Um, but it's still not affordable. It's still not available for a lot of people. So, but that's that's like my main message. I guess this a side part of that would also be that like even people at the lowest part, what they consider to be the lowest emotional part of their drug use can stop that chaotic use. And I'm a perfect example of that. Like, I'm not even, can you stop cat? I'm not even sure that, um, I mean, this is, this is what my life, this is a different kind of chaos. Like before it was like, is the, is the dope dealer going to show up? Now it's like, is the cat going to scratch the bottom of the door and the dog pursue the cat? So, you know, it's just like different, it's chaos on a different scale, but I think, um, you know, anyone has the ability to stop or, or, or even moderate their use in a better way. Like, I think everyone has to investigate their own relationship to particular substances and figure out what works for them. And I can't tell anyone that I don't necessarily think absence is superior to anything else. It's just superior for me. It works better for me, but I don't, I can't put a value judgment on what works for anybody else. Right on. Yeah, and hopefully folks will have access to the uh, the resources and support that they need to uh, to modify that relationship with uh, what my last guest referred to is that bad medicine and find find the good medicine, the the social contact and the purpose and and autonomy. Cool, groovy. I so appreciate you coming and sharing this time with me, and um, have a good day out there. Stay warm. Thanks for having me.